Welcome again to Hammock Street Church. Whether you're with us on site, it's nice to see more and more people on site or online. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for being a part of our community. Today we are wrapping up um, our Big Church series. And there's a reason that we called it Big Church. We called it Big Church because the ecclesia, remember that's the Greek word that means the community, the called out community. That's the word that was translated into the English Bible as church, not the best translation. So ecclesia, community, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people is a really big idea. And in this series, we've been looking at the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, I always feel like I'm saying acts, like the body spray. But we're looking at the book of Acts. That's the book of the early church history that was written by Luke, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was written by Luke as the second part of his gospel. Remember who Luke was. Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. He was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Remember, the Apostle Paul had some sort of physical malady. We don't know exactly what it was, but Luke was with him, so traveled with him just in case he needed a doctor. But also, Luke was probably Paul's benefactor, probably gave money, supported uh, Paul's ministry. And we read through the book of Acts because Acts is the best authority that we have to understand the earliest days of the Jesus movement. So it's a, it's a church history book, and it tells us the history of what went on in the early church. And the main question that we've been addressing in this series is how, how in the world did the message and the gospel of Jesus ever survive the first century? How did it ever make it out of the first century? We're looking at the question, how did this, this movement, this movement of people that followed Jesus, that followed the way, how did it survive Rome? Or how did it survive its opponents in that Judean Jewish community? We're asked the question, how did this group of people who believed this crazy notion that a dead man got up and walked right there in their city, the city in which they lived. How did this ever start and sustain a movement that would survive not only all of the attacks leveled at it during the first century, but also it became the most influential faith in the world and is so to this day. And as we've seen, the answer to that question in large part is that believers in Jesus Take the word of the people who saw what happened, who saw firsthand what happened, who saw the way that God had superintended all of it. Well, today, I want to leave everybody with a few things that we can incorporate into our lives that will help us to continue this powerful movement here in our Hammock Street community, and, and by doing so, transform our larger community and draw each of us closer to the God who has made us. There's lots of things, lots of benefits, lots of things that come out of following Jesus in this movement. And today, we are calling this message, Big Opportunity. All right, so why don't we pray? And then let's get started. Father God, we thank you for gathering us together this morning. We thank you for just a beautiful day here in South Florida. We thank you for this opportunity to be among family and friends, this opportunity to celebrate the fact that you are our God and that you love us and that you've shown us your grace. And God, we're just bowled over by the fact that even though you know everything about us, all the weird stuff we think, all the things we do, all the bad thoughts we have, you choose to love us anyway. And for that, God, we're grateful and thankful, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All righty. So what's been really cool about this series, and I encourage you, go to hammockstreetchurch.com. Uh, you can watch the video of the series. You can listen to the podcast. But what's really cool is I'm getting a lot of feedback from people. And the feedback that I've been receiving, most of the comments were about how much people enjoyed learning about the early history of the church. Very few people understand church history or know anything about church history. And it's funny because the book of Acts, which is the church history book, has been in the Bible the whole time. Like, you know that it's been there, right? But it's understandable that a lot of people aren't familiar with it. Why? Because Acts is a different kind of book. It's a different kind of book than any of the other Bible books. See, Acts kind of gives us this bird's eye view, this sort of flyover view of the way that the church started and then how the church spread and then the issues that it faced in the individual locations. So when we read Paul's letters, uh, Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians, those are particular cities that Paul visited and then planted a church and those books tell us the issues that those communities were having and then how Paul, interpreting God's word, tells them how to handle those issues, but this book of history, well, most people just kind of gloss over it. And they do so because when you read through Acts, it doesn't really seem to dispense the guidance and biblical wisdom that, that many people derive from, uh, when they read the Gospels or when they read Paul's writings or Peter's writings or James or John's or Jude's. So as we've seen in, in this series, we've learn stuff from Acts. We, we didn't think we could, but there it is. We've learned stuff that actually helps us to appreciate just how powerful this movement behind Jesus is and how we can be a part of furthering God's mission in our world. So over the past few weeks, this is a seven-week series, we've seen how the Jesus movement launched 2,000 years ago, not as an institution, not as a building, not as an exclusive social club, but as a multicultural, multi-ethnic, life-changing, soul-rescuing movement available to every person in the world. We saw how that arose, and we've seen how the movement founded upon the simple message of God's love for his image bearers. We've seen how, how that movement has given us a clear path to both an abundant life here on earth and an eternal life connected to the God of heaven and earth. In this series, we've seen how the movement disrupted the balance of power in ancient Jerusalem between the ruling Romans and the influential leaders of the Jewish temple. And we've seen how the movement survived the brutal persecution that was spawned by disrupting this power play. We've also seen how God captured the heart of the most vicious of all the persecutors of the believers in Jesus, the followers of Jesus. We remember he was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Remember, he was a part of the, part of the Pharisee party. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And we saw how God turned his efforts around, leaving him to become no longer the persecutor of the church, but the most prolific purveyor Remember, pastors always like alliteration, prolific purveyor of the Jesus movement. We've seen how God took this initial movement and its initial appeal to a mostly Jewish audience and brought it to the Gentile people where it would gain even more adherence and even more traction. And we've seen how the Gentiles, remember what Gentiles are, that derives from the Hebrew word goyim, which basically means 
nations. So we've seen how the people from the nations other than the nation of Israel, the other nations, the Gentiles, would become a part of this previously Jewish cult, if you will. And I don't mean cult in like the, you know, weird kind of way. I mean, it was a sect of Judaism that followed this rabbi Jesus who came as the promised Messiah. So we saw how the Gentiles became part of this previously Jewish cult, and then used it to bring others in from all nationalities and all ethnicities so that they would all become followers of the way as well. Well, today, even though we can look back at world history, remember world history? You probably took it in middle school, high school, maybe even college, and you probably slept through most of it because it was probably presented in a pretty boring way. But we can look back at world history, and we can see how some people had taken the message of Jesus and twisted it to their own purposes. And this is sort of the dark side of Christianity. And when you're hearing detractors, you hear about all these things. You hear about how people took this, this beautiful faith, this faith of love and God's grace, and and used it to control people or to have power over people or to make money off of people or have some sort of prestige over people. And we saw how this dark turn played out in church history. We saw how it played out in the atrocities of the Crusades or the Spanish Inquisition. Or we also saw how it played out in the promulgation of the Catholic system of indulgences, which is a way of paying the church so that this the Catholic priest could sort of bless your way into heaven. And we also saw it play out in some very not subtle ways, like the not subtle nods to anti-Semitism throughout the ages. But notwithstanding all of that, there still remains a large remnant of faithful men and women who have understood the true mission of Jesus, the true mission of the Jesus movement, and continued to advance it the world over. And it's this remnant that has always understood that in starting his movement, Jesus brought his followers a mission, a mission that isn't about a building or a liturgy or a style or anything else, but rather Jesus brought his followers a mission based on a simple idea that transformed Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when God sent his son as the payment for their sins and by raising him from the dead after serving as the atonement necessary to connect God's people forever, he changed the world. Also, at the same time that that dark stuff was going on, the remnant was still there and it was still working to do, to do amazing things. The remnant, in other words, the believing Christians who understood and got it were instrumental in ending chattel slavery. They're also instrumental in building hospitals. You ever notice, and, and particularly folks who are closer to my age, remember how all hospitals used to have a religious affiliation to them? There was Baptist Hospital down in Miami, Baptist Hospital, Mercy Hospital. There's always St. Somebody's Hospital. These are all religious affiliations. That's the Christians going in and providing health care for the people. The Christian remnant has always been there to feed the hungry and house the homeless and care for the needy and raise the orphans and educate the young and serve God whenever it called them to do so in the name of Jesus. One of the coolest things you get to see is when there's a natural disaster or something horrible happens, and all of a sudden, all these Christians rush to help out. You know, the Christian churches go to the flood relief for the hurricanes or the, or the flood relief for the tornadoes, and the Christian churches are always the places right there on the ground first. These are those remnants, the remnants of people who understood 
Then, of course, there are the missionaries, the missionaries who risked their lives and gave their lives in order to take this incredible message of the gospel all over the world. And they did so without the kind of churchiness that you get used to when you get involved in a church or without the, the Christianese, that special language that sometimes church people speak that you go, wow, that's weird. I'll never speak like that. I guess church isn't for me. They, they did so without all the extraneous stuff that's been piled on Jesus's movement throughout the centuries. So meaningful so powerful, so beneficial to the world this message and movement have been that today and every Sunday, people are gathered just like this, far and wide, all over the world in the name of Jesus for the purpose of reaching and rescuing the lost among us. Now, this is interesting. You know, there's, there's a big movement in the world right now, and a lot of people are saying they're not people of faith, and they're pushing more toward secularism and more toward atheism and so on. And what's really interesting is people don't realize the secularism and atheism that people are pushing for is really a watered-down version of Christian values and Christian faith. Because when you say, well, it's just common sense. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to believe in God? It is not common sense. It was never common sense before the Christians came around to abolish slavery. It was never common sense to treat women with dignity. It was never common sense to treat children with dignity. These are all Christian values, whether you realize it or not. Anyway, that was a digression. That fact had been made possible by the believers who had been sure to hand off Jesus' message of love and forgiveness to each successive generation. We just did, this, just did this ceremony up here, and we made sure, hey, everybody, We've got a little child here. Do you promise you're going to hand off this message to him like it was handed off to his parents? Well, Hammock Street, it is now your turn. So, as a few of you know, about two weeks ago, I celebrated my birthday. This is my shameless plug for my own birthday. No, it is not. <laughs> because I don't want you to think about that. What I want you to think about is this. It's something you don't know. This past week, I celebrated my real birthday. This past Tuesday, I celebrate the 28th anniversary of my rebirth, the 28th anniversary of the day that I became a follower of Jesus. 28 years ago, this week, a faithful follower of Jesus, one of God's remnant, remnant is one that's left over who gets it, and this guy truly got it. He truly understood Jesus' message. He understood the Jesus movement that followed Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension, along with his promise to return one day to usher in God's kingdom here on earth, and he passed that on to me. And he invited me to become a part of the Jesus movement as well. Now, his understanding that every generation has the obligation to pass off that baton quite literally changed my life. He understood what he needed to do, and it changed my life. And as you're all sitting here with me, it changed your lives too. That's pretty powerful for some random conversation 28 years ago in an office building in West Palm Beach. Who knew? You never know what your actions are going to give rise to, so give thought to your actions. That's pretty powerful. But now it's our turn to do the same for others, and the timing couldn't be better. See, a lot of people look at these days as something negative, but I don't know. I see them as positive. You see, the arrival of the COVID pandemic in 2020 caused all of us in the church world to sort of take stock because church changed. It allowed us to rethink the way that church is done. 
It allowed us to answer a lot of the what ifs that had kind of been kicking around in our collective brains for a long, long while. It allowed us to answer the question, what if we can't meet in person? Can we still be a church? What if people move away from the area? Because now with technology, you can live in a lot of places and work remotely. What if they move away from the area? Can they still be a part of our community? What if people are not yet comfortable being in a crowd? Can they still find love and fellowship among the people of God? And what if none of the old church practices seem to fit anymore? What if, the, what if none of the old church traditions, not talking about the Bible, I'm talking about church traditions, what if, what if they don't seem to work? What if they don't resonate with anyone anymore? Can God still use this ecclesia to change lives, to save the lost? Well, I suspect you know the answer to all of these questions. The answer is, of course, we can remain a community and find love and fellowship, even when our prior understanding of what that looks like might have shifted. And of course God can use the church to save the lost and change their lives. So now, what I want to do is talk about the part that we can play as God's community here at Hammock Street Church to continue the progress of God's movement, this movement called the way, what we refer to as Christianity, the movement that we call the church. What can we do? What part can we play? All right, so if you're a follower of Jesus... You have a story. You have a story about how you became a follower of Jesus. Did you know that? If you're sitting here today and you feel like you don't have a story, it just sort of happened, we need to talk. Because I want to point out, I want to show you your story. When I talk about my story, I like to note that I was introduced to Jesus long before I was introduced to the church. From a coworker, I learned that every one of us comes into this world separated from God because we're born broken. We're born with a sin nature and we're born into a sinful world and that sin nature gives us this tendency to live our lives exclusively for ourselves. Any of you have had a child or been in the room when someone was giving birth, you know that because what's the first thing a child does when it comes into the world? It complains. Oh, the lights are bright. Wah. I'm freezing. Get me a blanket. Wah. Who are all you strange people, right? It's very selfish. They don't come out and go, oh, thank you so much for carrying me, mom. Nine months. Whew, I hope I didn't hurt you or anything like that. No, people come into the world for themselves and not for God. God is not their first thought. And that not only keeps us from God, but it keeps us from living that abundant life for which God designed us. God designed us to live abundantly. And God designed us to be connected to him because on our own, there's nothing we can do to fix the mess that we're born into. And ultimately, if we don't fix it, that leads to an eternity spent disconnected from that very same God who created us and who loves us. And that is what we call bad news. But then I learned about the good news. I learned that, that God loved us too much to consign us to such a bleak existence. So in fulfillment of his promise to his ancient people, the Jews, God sent someone to save us from this fate. God, the Father, sent Jesus, God, the Son, to pay the penalty for our sin problem. How? By living a perfect life. And then by allowing himself, allowing himself to die on a cross and be buried in a tomb and then rising from the dead after having paid for our sin. And I learned that when I confess my sin, when I admit to God the mess that I am, and I understand how much God loves me and how God sent Jesus to pay my penalty, 
And that if I devote my life to God, he will instantly connect me to himself. And I will instantly become a beneficiary of all of his goodness and inherit a blessed eternity connected to him. And I did that on November 9th, 1993. And at that moment, my new life in Jesus began. And that first year, I learned as much as I could about this Jesus to whom I pledged my life. And I've explained it to you guys before. I knew very little, if not nothing, about Jesus, about faith, about Christians, about... I knew nothing. No, I'm Jewish. Nothing, okay? I knew as much about being a Christian as you know about being a Hindu, perhaps, or a Muslim, perhaps. It's just not your thing. You don't know it. It wasn't my thing. I didn't know it. So that first year, I learned as much as I possibly could. I read the Bible over and over again. I read books that helped me understand the Bible. I listened to recordings of Bible teachers. I used to say I listen to cassettes, but that loses half the audience. They're like, what's that? I spoke with everyone who'd ever mentioned Christianity in any context. I wanted to know it all. And eventually, I ended up in a church that, by God's grace, taught the things that I was learning and seemed to be mostly populated by loving, caring Christians. But as my time at church went on, I was exposed to other people. Some people who held themselves out as Christians, but didn't fit the description of a Jesus follower that I had come to expect. I saw a lot of people who were inauthentic, people who would say the right words, use the Christianese language in public, but in private be very, very different people. I heard people who spoke derisively, negatively, poorly about the lost while they were at the same time parroting Christian platitudes about love and then at the same time not showing any of it in their lives. I saw people who smiled and said welcome when they met new people at their church community, but then they pitched a fit when one of those new people sat in their seat or failed to look the way that they're supposed to look. You know, wrong pants, wrong shirt, wrong hats, wrong look. I heard way too many people improperly attaching their supposed faith in Jesus to their views about politics or their views about their country. And I heard over and over again how these vocal Christians were seen by society. You might not know this, but people have a general negative view of Christians in society. They didn't look at them in the wondrous way that I'd been looking at these followers since I came to the faith, but they looked at them with disdain, disgust, and distrust. I could go on, but you get my point. I started to see how the irresistible message of Jesus could be made quite resistible when God's people forget who they are and whose they are. Pardon the grammar. And when they allowed, as Pastor Tim Keller said, good things to become ultimate things. There are a lot of good things in this life, and we can enjoy a lot of good things in this life. We can enjoy success. We can enjoy nice cars, nice houses, all that stuff. Those are good things. But when they become ultimate things, when they rise above good and become the things you worship, the things you sell, that's idolatry. And that's a bad thing. When God's people allow good things, and sometimes not so good things, to become ultimate things, guess what happens? They stop worshiping God, and they begin worshiping those idols. And oftentimes they don't realize it. But we want Hammock Street to be a different kind of community. We want to be a community that keeps the main thing the main thing. A community where faith in Jesus always remains irresistible. And to accomplish our goal, 
We have to stay on top of things. We have to remain vigilant about a few things. Now, if you've been here a little while, you know that I always emphasize that the church, that the ecclesia is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. The people here represent Christ to the world. In his letter to the believers in the ancient city of Corinth, the apostle Paul explained this. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. The ecclesia isn't the building. The ecclesia is all of us. The people to your right, the people to your left, all God's image bearers. We are the ecclesia. And as such, we need to always be aware that when the lost people see us, they should see Jesus in us. I've heard it said, you might be the only Jesus that anyone sees or somebody ever sees. That's heavy. We stress every week that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is the Savior who came to seek and save the lost. And as a result, it follows that the ecclesia at Hammock Street, our community, the community that makes up the body of Christ, needs to always be welcoming to the lost, welcoming and inviting to the unchurched, to the people who didn't grow up like this. And we've seen in this series that it's always been God's plan to be this way. It's always been God's plan for his ecclesia not to be a place where people are really great at following the rules, but a community for people who need to know the forgiveness of God, just as I did when he rescued me. Now, remember the words of James? Remember who James was? James is Jesus' little brother. You know that? Jesus' little brother. Can you imagine growing up and your brother says he's the Messiah? Would you buy it? I have two brothers. Nothing could convince me of that. <laughs> James, James was not convinced of that during Jesus' life. But so, somehow, when you see your brother rise from the dead and stick around for a month and a half talking to people and then head up into the air, it does a little convincing for you. <laughs> James became a huge power, a huge force in the church. And here's what James said about bringing in those lost, bringing in the Gentile nations. Here's what he said. James said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So if we're doing anything as a church that make it difficult for people to come to God, we are doing it wrong. And following James' words, we've always kept coming to Jesus in an uncomplicated way. We've, we've kept it simple. We've made it as easy as possible for people who are turning to God to understand God, to know God, to understand what he's done for them. And that's why we do things around here the way that we do. That's why I don't have a preacher voice and a regular voice. When we're doing sound check in the morning, I always go, and then God said, or can I get an amen? I don't do that. Maybe I should, but I don't do that. We do things differently. We keep things Florida casual. Florida casual means whatever, right? It means come to church and whatever you're wearing. Totally cool. That's why we built this building the way we did. It doesn't look like a church. When I was talking to the architect when we were building this building and he drew out the first thing and I said, mm, it looks too much like a church. He said, aren't you building a church? <laughs> well, yeah, but we don't want it to look like a church. Well, why are you building a church then? Well, we want a gathering spot where people will be comfortable. Oh, okay. 
That's why we always explain the gospel. We're always sure to share the good news about our great God every week. We want to be that community. We want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend because just as James said, we want to make it easy for people to come to Jesus. Although it was easy in the first century for people to come to Jesus because the message of Jesus was being shared by people who were thoroughly convinced that it was true. The message of Jesus was shared by people who had seen firsthand or at least spoken with people who'd seen firsthand the miracles that Jesus performed during his life on earth and and the miracles that he performed even further through his death but then resurrection. It was the most horrible death imaginable. It was the most shameful death possible at the time but it all took place in fulfillment of God's ancient promise to send the world a savior through God's chosen people, Israel. And so convicted were these people of the truth about God and the reality of God the Son that they were bold and they were confident. And they knew that they could change everything about the way that religious people, Jews and pagans and Gentiles, approach God and connected with God. And they committed everything to God. And in return, God blessed them more than they could have ever dreamt possible. As Paul summarized in his letter to the believers in Ephesus, here's what he said. He said, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This is a powerful God. That's a movement that we want to be a part of. That's the remnant of the church. That's the ecclesia that began in the first century and blazed its way throughout the region and then reached and transformed the world. It reached and transformed the lives of people who were already religious, but were very far from God. That's the story of the big church, and there's good news. That story isn't over with yet. The Jesus movement is still moving, right here, right now, right in our midst. God's still at work. He's still seeking and saving the lost, and he's making abundant the lives of all who believe in him and follow him. And God will continue to use us to guide them. You see, God's created each one of us to play a role in reaching the lost in our area. I tell people all the time, this is your job too. I, they call me like, you know, good. I get paid to be good. I used to be good for nothing. But God said, I've given you all a role to reach the lost in your area, to bring them to the Jesus movement. I tell people all the time, you see people I'll never see. So it's on you. How do we do that, though? How do we start? Where do we start? Well, at the beginning, we need to begin with the realization that God has called every one of us to this work, every single one of us. It's not a me thing. It's a we thing. It's an all-hands-on-deck situation. I, I want to share something with you that I haven't told you before. When we came out to replant this church, it was another church community out here, we actually planned to grow a church to the size that was big enough where we could make a real impact on our area, but not so big that we lost our connection with each other. That's a, that's a difficult balance. But in 12 years, and that's how long we've been out here, I, I know you guys. I mean, a lot of you guys are visiting, so thank you for visiting. But the ones that aren't visiting, I know you folks, right? You know me. I try to stay up to date with everybody. I do my best to greet and chat with as many people on po as possible on Sundays and during the week. My wife Beth and I, we pray for all of you, each of you, all week long, every day. We, we love you guys. We seek God's best for you guys all 
the time when you are hurting, we're hurting. When you can't sleep, we can't sleep. When you're filled with joy, we're filled with joy. I'll bet you I'm as filled with joy about Carson's baptism as any of his family. I, it blows me away. I am just thrilled. When you're here to celebrate, we celebrate. And when you're here, we celebrate. And when you're not here, we're sad. Here comes the guilt. No, I'm not. I don't want to guilt you. But wait, I miss you. When you're not here, I miss you. And because I'm familiar with you, I know what you can do. I'm capable of I, I, I'm, I'm capable of understanding what you're capable of doing for God. Think about it this way. If you're a parent, you know how sometimes you look at your own child and you think, man, if they could only see themselves the way I see them, if they only understood the potential that they have, there'd be no limit to what they could do. When our young kids are going through stuff and now with, you know, looking on Instagram and comparing yourself to all these other people, it's easy to get down on yourself and think, wow, people are more successful than I am and people are doing so much better than I am and oh, that's so horrible, it's so, it's so tough. I'm here to tell you, you guys are better than that. You can do better than that. God created you better than that. There should be no limit to the things you can do. Do not look down on yourself in comparing to other people. And that's what I think when I see everybody. We think that about our kids. I think that about you. And I know that this community can do amazing things for God in our midst. If we'll do them together, we can make such a huge difference. But to do so, I need everybody to get involved one way or another. I'm not asking you all to leave your careers and go to seminary and become a pastor, but get involved. Now, at the beginning of the series, we talked about the boldness of the church. And I asked everyone to pray about being bold. And we all prayed for God to show us his power and, and, to God, and for God to give us that boldness, allow us to be bold. And that was the prayer of the first century church. And that needs to be our prayer today, right now. We need to be bold. And in order to be bold, we need to do things at a level that's different from the level we've done them in the past. And now we have an opportunity. This is such a great opportunity. COVID has caused us all to take a beat and to take stock of things and to realize the things that are truly important in this world, love and community and fellowship and integrity and legacy. We want to experience God's blessings in this life. We want to make sure the generations that follow experience the same blessings. We want our lives and the lives of the young people in this church to be meaningful and impactful beyond ourselves. The big church movement that started 2,000 years ago when a Jewish carpenter walked out of the grave, that's the vehicle. That is the perfect vehicle for achieving that kind of lasting meaning and impact. But to get there, we need to be bold. And we need to be bold in particularly these four areas. So let's just go through the areas first. We need you to be bold in your invitations. There are people that you know that you've thought about inviting to church for years. You thought about inviting them to a Sunday service or to a picnic like we had yesterday. By the way, if you missed the picnic, you missed a great time. We had a good time. Weather was beautiful. Food was good. Fellowship was great. We had a great time. Pay attention when we come out with these picnic things. Come show up. It's really kind of cool to do church stuff that's not in church service. But you know you have people that you want to invite to church, to a picnic, uh, to a small group, to a neighborhood cleanup to youth group, to, to Hammock Street Church kids, whatever. You know you have people in your mind, but you haven't done it yet. 
Well, now I want you to do it. It's time to step up. It's time to be bold. It's time to make that invitation. But it's not so we get bigger. Whether we get bigger or not isn't up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to God. But doing that, being bold in that way is for you. It's actually for you. If everyone here can experience Hammock Street Church at least once a year through the eyes of somebody else who they brought, someone who doesn't typically go to church, to experience a church in the eyes of somebody who's far away from God and see their life transform, it is powerful to watch that happen. When you see that, you walk away with this new confidence about God. You go, wow, look what God did in that person's life. What could he do in my life? And also when we do that and we remain outsider focused, we remain looking for those people to invite, we avoid becoming an insider focused place. Because an insider focused place gets sclerotic, fancy medical word for, gets hard, gets rigid, doesn't allow itself to change, and it only can bless a few people. But if we remain an outsider focused place, that serves the many as God has directed, well, 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 that makes the, all the difference in the world. And that's our mission. And if we're going to stay on mission, we need everybody to remain and become a bold inviter. And by the way, inviting others will grow your faith and will stretch your faith as well. When you invite others, there are going to be people that someday you're going you're gonna to see come to Jesus. And that is a joyful moment. You're going to see them become baptized, and you're going to go, wow, was that powerful? You won't realize how powerful, you won't believe how powerful it is when you see God work through you to bless the life of someone else. And I want that for you. So please be bold in your invitations. Second, we need you to be bold in your volunteering. This is not for us. This, again, is for you. When I became a follower of Jesus, as I just told you, I knew legitimately nothing about God. I hadn't a clue about the Bible. I hadn't a clue about anything. Do you know how I remedied that? By volunteering. I learned the Bible by taking kindergartners and first graders through Bible lessons that I was handed one minute before the kindergartners showed up in front of me. I volunteered in the children's ministry. They gave me the teaching sheet, and they said, go. All you need, what is, what is the old expression in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king? I was the one-eyed man, and I was squinting. It wasn't easy, but I had a blast. I really enjoyed it. I love working with the kids. I drew closer to God, and I felt God working through me as a result. Here's just one example of that. Last week, I wasn't here because, and here's really strange. Six months ago, I got an email out of the blue from a girl that I taught and coached, coached her in soccer when she was in kindergarten. You ever coach kindergartners in soccer? It's not exactly soccer. It's kind of like I coached her in standing on the field, but whatever. <laughs> Out of the blue, she, she sent me an email and said, hey, could you please perform my wedding? Would you come to North Carolina and perform my wedding? That is humbling in a good way. Well, that was awesome that God would use me to represent to her Jesus' love more than 20 years ago. And there I was. It was such a cool moment. And the parents kept saying, thank you. And I kept saying, no, thank you. This is great. But teaching isn't the only way to be blessed by volunteering. You can greet people. If you can guide people. If you can lead people in a study. If you can sing or play an instrument, join the worship team. If you could help out with the children, help out with the older students, if you can make coffee, if you can help straighten up after services, whatever. As you connect with people in the fellowship, you will grow. Your faith will grow. Your friendship circle will grow. Your life will get better. When people see 
that you're happy about volunteering, guess what they're going to do? They're going to want to do the same. So starting now, please think about, pray about being bold in your volunteering. Third, we need you to be bold in your generosity. I want to say this at the outset. People hate when churches do this, but God doesn't need your money. That's not what I'm talking about. I talk about this a bit. Everything already belongs to God. You're not going to be able to take it with you when that day comes. What's the old expression? You don't see a U-Haul on a hearse? It doesn't work that way. But if we're going to make a big impact on this community, if we want to make our community the kind of place that you love to live and the kind of place in which you want to raise your family, it takes resources. And the good news is those resources are already in the bank. They're just in your bank. If everyone that's a part of Hammock Street Church would just tithe, 10%, I've done it for the last 25 years. I would never ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do. If you will tithe like God has commanded, God will change your life. He's promised you that. And God will use our community, our ecclesia, to make a huge impact in our area. Now, if the thought of tithing freaks you out, it should not. But if it does, start off as a percentage giver, 5%, 3%. Set it up online. Do an automatic transfer to get started. You can even use your credit card. By the way, don't go into debt. Pay off your credit card every month. But you can use your credit card to get mileage points for giving to God. I mean, win-win, right? (laughs) Pay it off every month, though. Don't tell Dave Ramsey on me. Imagine the impact that we would have on all those people you'll be boldly inviting when you bring them to church if we don't pass around a plate, we don't talk about an offering. Because everybody so believes in the mission of Hammock Street that they've already given to its work before we even arrive on Sunday. Those guests will move heaven and earth to become a part of something that meaningful. If you're already a tither, thank you. If you're already a percentage giver, thank you. Up your percentage, please. (laughs) I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to bless you. Every single time we've received a large gift, and I'll call the person or contact the person who's, who's given the gift to say thank you, they go, no, 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 thank you. It was a blessing to give and be a part of God's work. Every time I was able to give a large gift, particularly in my previous iteration as an attorney, it was a joy. Think about it this way. Do you remember the gifts you got or the gifts you gave better? You give a big gift, you remember that. You get a big gift as a kid, eh, maybe you remember, but you probably don't. Giving's a great opportunity to be bold. Enough of that. Fourth, we need you to be bold in your prayers. We talked about this in week two. In addition to the prayers that you're already praying, please pray boldly for the person you know at work, for that lost person, for that person that needs a little bit of help, for the people in your neighborhood who, who you think will never darken the door of a church. Be bold. Pray for them. Pray for them every single day. You're probably the only person who is praying for them. It could change their lives. And pray for our community. Imagine what it would look like if our whole area knew us at Hammock Street Church for our commitment to Jesus and the love that we have for our community and for the people in it. With all the people and all the giftedness in this part of South Florida, imagine the difference we could make if we were only bold in our prayers. Please be bold in our prayers. Now, we started this series off, and we're wrapping up in Acts chapter 1, and I want to finish with the final verses. So the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul imprisoned in a home, chained either by his wrists or his ankles to a Roman soldier. So they put him in his home, they chained him up to a Roman soldier, so that was his prison. 
He waited there for two years until they could set a trial in Rome. And once he was in Rome, they put Paul in chains again, but he began to preach the gospel, the good news about God, to the Jewish leaders, and they weren't having any of it. And at the very end of the book of Acts, here's what the Apostle Paul says to sum up all of his work for the Jesus movement. Here's what he said. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Remember, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. He's trying to get them to understand Jesus. They aren't buying it, so he says to them, listen, God's just done something right there in your midst, and you rejected it. You rejected your Messiah, but God isn't finished. God is now sending this message to the Gentiles, and Paul says to these Jewish leaders in Rome, I'm giving you guys a heads up here in Rome. The Gentiles are going to listen, and they're going to embrace this message, and this message is going viral. That's where it was first said, right there in the Bible, right there. Verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome in his own rented house. So he's imprisoned in his own house and he welcomed all who came to see him. And what did he talk about when the people came to see him? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord who allowed him to be arrested, shipwrecked, and beaten, and brought to Rome, and chained to a Roman guard. Paul talked about this Lord who allowed all those horrible things to happen to him. I mean, what had God done for Paul lately? But Paul didn't waver. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's say it all together with all boldness and without hindrance. If he can pray that boldly, after all of that, in chains, knowing that any moment they could cut his head off, Paul proclaimed Jesus without boldness, or with boldness and without hindrance. By the way, Paul would die at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero, but the church didn't die. The church wouldn't be silenced because big church is a big deal. And God's invited us all to be a part of it for our generation. So let's pray bold prayers. Let's give boldly, let's serve boldly, let's invite boldly because we've been invited to be a part of this thing that God began and that God will continue until the end of this age. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, for your word. Thank you for this series. Thank you for taking us through the book of church history, the book of Acts, so that we can understand this big church movement that you've created and that you've sustained over the centuries and that you brought to us for our stewardship. So God, as we continue on from here today, as we head into this holiday season, this is our time. This is the time that we can reach out and change this area for you, that we can, we can be a light in the dark place, that we can bring the lost into your grace. So God, give us that boldness. Take us from here Allow us to be your witnesses, all in Jesus' name, amen.